Well, I want to take just a little break, not much, but two Sundays here. We're going to take a little break from Hebrews, although when you hear the message, you're going to hear some Hebrews quotes in the message as well. But I wanted to have a, a clear focus on a couple of Christmas themes. And I think you guys know this by now, and I hope that you, it doesn't bother you. Does, I've learned to accept it over the years, but um, we will hit a lot of the same themes and the same ideas as we're here, right? How many times do you watch your favorite movie? Just once? Right? How many times do you listen to your favorite songs? One time? How many times do you read uh, your favorite Bible verse? Just once? <laughs> so over the years, you guys are you're going to be like, yeah, I've heard this thing like six, seven, 27 times. And that's intentional, okay? Some of these truths, we have to hear them over and over for them to really rest in our heart. And today, what I want to focus on is, I think it's a, one of the most important theological concepts that we have as a church, and that is the virgin birth of Jesus. There's a whole world out there that is trying to push down and shut out the miraculous, and they want to deny it, and they, they want to completely eradicate it. And I'm going to tell you today that theologically, one of the things we can start with is the truth of the virgin birth. And we're going to get there in just a second. So if you would, you'd like to turn in your Bibles this morning. We're going to start in the book of Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1. And we'll be in verse 26. We're going to go 26 through 34. And I really want to thank my Indian pastor friends, Sindhu and um, Pastor I.D. They have been such a great reminder to me of the miraculous. I think sometimes I live in a very academic and scientific world, even though I'm just doing technology. That's what I'm around all the time. And it's really refreshing to see people of great faith to share that God is still doing miraculous things. And so I want to say a thank you to them, especially this year, for encouraging me in that. Let's look together. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 34. And the Dr. Luke writes this. He says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The virgin birth. If you guys remember, we did this a few years ago. We talked about some of the fundamentals of the faith. And... To me, it's really important that we keep those things out in front of us on a regular basis. Uh, some of my friends from on my jail team, when we go in, it's kind of interesting. We go in to, to work with the guys at jail, but we're all from different churches. I have some Episcopalian guys. 
there's some Southern Baptist guys, there's a Methodist guy, some Christian church men that we all come in. And when we come in, we try to focus on the things that matter the most, right? And so um, one of the church fathers said something like this. He said, in the essentials, there should be unity. Are you tracking with that? The things that are most important, there should be unity. And even though we may have a lot of different churches on the south side of Indy, the things that should unite us should be those essential things. And so some of those things this morning I want to go over just briefly is this idea. The first one is the virgin birth. If we come across another group of believers who say they're believers, but they don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that is a red flag for you. Are you hearing me this morning? Okay. A few other fundamentals for you to keep in mind. If you come across the people who say they're a group of believers, but they don't believe in the authority and the inerrancy of God's word, that is a red flag for you. Okay? Hold on. What do you mean you don't believe that the Bible is true in science and geography and it's true completely? I have a problem with that. (laughs) That's an essential. Another really big thing is the idea that Jesus died in our place. And this is huge today because there's a whole group of people that are wanting to make Jesus' death just an example of service and humility. But the problem is that Jesus didn't just die to show us how to be a nice person. He died because we were sinners and God was sending us to hell and wrath would come for the payment of the penalty of that sin. And Jesus took that place. And if you come across someone who says, well, I don't think really we needed Jesus to take our place. He was just showing us how to be a humble person. A red flag got to go off, all right? Also, fundamentally, we believe that Jesus literally died and literally rose again. You're going to think this is crazy, but there are some people who claim to be Christians who don't believe in a literal resurrection of Jesus. Even today, in our Sunday school lesson in Isaiah 26, we didn't get to get all the way there, but the Old Testament was prophesying that the dead would rise again. (laughs) This is not anything new. And the fifth thing, the thing we want to remind ourselves about, and we talked a little bit even about this last week, is that Jesus is with the Father, and he will literally, physically come to earth again. All right, those are the essentials. Are you hearing me this morning? Those are important. So in the essentials, we need to have unity. In the non-essentials, we should have liberty. What are some non-essentials? I like um, choruses. I like hymns. I like old hymns. I like really old hymns. (laughs) I like jazz. I like country western. I like my Christian songs. I like them to be rap. You hear me start rapping this morning? You probably don't. It would be really embarrassing, right? We can sing in all kinds of different ways to the Lord, can't we? Right? That is a non-essential. So what the same church father who said, I believe it was Augustine who said it, in the essentials there should be unity. In the non-essentials there should be liberty. What's that mean? We need to have some freedom, Right? So when I go to India on a trip and they are singing with a different kind of drum and a different rhythm and things that I'm like, this is really strange to me, then I need to take a step back and say, wait a minute, this is a non-essential. This is where they're expressing their love to God in their heart language. Let there be liberty in that, right? 
Even the way that we do church, right? There should be some liberty in that. Some churches will do Advent. Some churches won't do Advent. Some churches will stand and then kneel and stand and kneel. In our church, we let you sit almost all the time. Drives me crazy, but I'm going to let that be liberty today. All right? So hear me out. In those essentials, this is the first of the essential today, there should be unity. We need to be together on those things. And those things that are non-essential, let's let there be liberty. And then you know what he said last, which is really good. He said, in all things, there should be charity. Ooh, love. Right? Man, the Lord has been teaching me this, like this last month, like crazy. We need to do a lot more listening than talking. That's hard for a preacher to say. We need to listen. When somebody's coming up to you and they're expressing something, even you guys today, you heard some people share some prayer requests. They were sharing a little bit of their heart with you. Did you catch that? We need to make sure that we are listening to them and that we're showing love in everything. We need to make sure we have charity. All right, first thing this morning, the virgin birth is a predictor of faith. One of the quickest ways to find out if someone has or does not have faith is to ask them this question. Do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? And I definitely, with a resounding yes this morning, is what I proclaim. This is from Mark Driscoll. He's a pastor out in Washington, D.C., If the virgin birth of Jesus is not true, it is untrue, then the story of Jesus changes greatly. We would have a promiscuous young woman lying about God's miraculous hand in the birth of her son, raising that son to declare he was God and then joining his religion. But if Mary is nothing more than a sinful con artist, then neither she nor her son Jesus should be trusted. Because both the clear teachings of Scripture about the beginning of Jesus' earthly life and the character of his mother are at stake, we must contend for the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. You hear that? That's a big deal, isn't it? If you deny the miraculous there, then you're basically killing the foundation for everything else. And that's why at this time of year, it's important for us to remind ourselves the truth that Jesus was born of a virgin. This is huge. If Jesus is not born of a virgin, then just throw out all of the miraculous. Amen? Why? Believe in creation even. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. If you guys look, and I don't want to go don't bore you too much with the academic part of this, but you can look what happened over time is that some, especially in Germany, there were a lot of it began, some German theologians began to really start tearing apart the scriptures. And that came about because they were being pressured in their academic societies that, well, maybe there isn't miracles. So we want to find a way to hold on to our tradition, but we're going to have to figure out a way how to get rid of this miraculous stuff. So they called it higher criticism. And they started trying to destroy the truth that the scripture was written and as comes from the Lord. Uh, they, because of that, they began to explain away all of the miracles. And then they began to, make, to move away from creation. And then we have what we have now in many of our liberal universities that used to be founded on the teachings of the scripture. In my humble opinion or small opinion, they were moving away from God himself. And that's why, one reason why the virgin birth is such a big 
deal. So let's take it if you look at some other texts surrounding this truth about the virgin birth. Probably the most famous one, if you want to, turn your Bibles there, is Isaiah chapter 7 in verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7. Verse 14. So again, I was working with my middle schoolers this morning and we were talking about the time frame of Isaiah. 700s BC. So like 2,700 years ago is what we're talking about. And what we'll find, and this happens a lot in the scriptures, is that sometimes there'll be a prophecy that has a local fulfillment in a smaller context and then it has a larger fulfillment in a big context. And what we see here in Isaiah 7, 14 is that God keeps his promises. And the virgin birth is a reminder that God keeps his promises. So let's look together. Isaiah 7, 14. You're really familiar with this verse. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Here, listen closely to this. 700 years before the birth of Christ, King Ahaz, the king of Judah, was in a royal mess. He began reigning in Judah at age 20, and he reigned for 16 years. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Listen to some of the things that he did. Ahaz sacrificed his own son in the fire following idolatrous practices. He sacrificed and burned incense at high places and on hilltops and under every spreading tree rather than serving and worshiping at the temple, the only temple of God. Judah was about to be attacked by Syria and by northern Israel. They were looking to conquer King Ahaz. And so he felt rather than going to the Lord, he had to go to the Assyrians, the most cruel of all armies at this time. He conspired with a king by the name of Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, rather than trusting God, begging that the king would come and save him from Syria and from northern Israel. He took silver and gold found in the temple of the Lord, and he gave it to the king of Assyria. And Isaiah came to Ahaz, telling him that God, not the king of Assyria, would not let northern Israel and Syria take him over. Isaiah even went so far as to tell Ahaz to ask for a sign. And then Isaiah tells him that this will be the sign. A virgin would conceive and bring forth a son and call his name Emmanuel. You guys help me. What's Emmanuel mean? God with us, right? So what he was saying is that God will be with Judah, not Assyria. All right, think about that with me just for a minute. In the midst of Ahaz's mess, God made a promise, and he always keeps his promises. And 700 years later, in the person and work of his son, God kept that promise. Isn't it interesting how God always has a way of delivering despite our own troubles and our inadequacies? Right? Made any bad decisions last week? I made a couple. My wife would probably say a lot more than that. <laughs> In the midst of our troubles and our sometimes not the best choices, God still delivers. But we got to seek him. Even this week in Nehemiah, this has really been hung on with me. You guys have done a good job teaching the preacher on Wednesday nights. We studied this last week that we need to trust God for the means as well as the ends. All right. Can I give you kind of a real practical example of that? 
I believe that God over time, and it's, we've been here five years, and I think it's going to it may take 15 or 20. I'm okay with that. Lord Terry's, that'd be good. <laughs> that God is rebuilding and building up from the ground up a people whose heart is patterned after him, and he's going to make this place an incredibly healthy group of believers. That's the end. That's the goal. That's what I believe God is going to do. Now, the means is where I kind of struggle a little bit because I start trying to figure out how I'm going to make the end happen. Well, I got this plan, and I got this marketing scheme, and I got this idea, and I got this sermon series, and I have this special music, and I have this event, and I have, if only I had more money and more whatever, I could do this. The means I want to take control over. The end, I say, oh, God will do that. (laughs) That's pretty hypocritical, isn't it? I need to give the means to God too, don't I? Right? That's the hard part. Can you guys hear the Lord speaking to you today? In your own life, God has some ends that he wants to accomplish. And you might even know what some of those are, right? Maybe it's how your kids are going to come to Christ or where you're going to go and serve or how God's going to use the gifts that he's given you to magnify his name. You can see the ends. You have an idea of what he wants to accomplish, but it's the means that you're still trying to take control of. And God is telling you today that you need to trust him even for the means, even for the way that the great big plan is going to happen. You've got to trust the Lord in that too because he just might surprise you. Good night. I'm a Hoosier of all things. Right? You never know how the Lord is going to work these things out for his glory. And so we've got to learn to trust the Lord all the way through. Well, look what happened. You guys know Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. Again, God fulfills his promise. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The name Emmanuel reminds us that God keeps his promises. And let's remind ourselves this morning, the virgin birth reminds us that God keeps his promises. I have reserved for you an inheritance in heaven that will not perish or spoil or fade. Is that a promise? You better believe it is. That was 1 Peter 1. That was our text today that Michael read, right? That's a promise. Does God honor his promises? You guys, Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus died, he wrote in Isaiah 53 one of the clearest pictures of what the crucifixion will look like, and it looks exactly like he wrote it because God keeps his promises. God says the dead in Christ will rise first. This ain't it, guys. I promise you, the virgin birth is a reminder that God keeps his promises today, okay? Let the Lord encourage you with that. All right, real quickly, the virgin birth reminds us that Jesus is divine, or if you will, God is emphasized here. Jesus is God. God is divine. Matthew 1, verse 18 And this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. All this took place, (laughs) right? That's why the virgin birth today is so important. I would again emphasize today, it was God who came to earth. One of the most fantastic things that has ever taken place. The king of the universe, the creator, the majesty on high, made himself a child. God became a baby. That's what we are celebrating here today. The way that he came was miraculous. Also a reminder today, too, that Mary is the mother of God. Quick thing here, real real quick here, you free will Baptist Jew uh, and me. Uh, We sometimes really are hard on our Catholic brothers and sisters because their view of Mary is too high. They call it immaculate conception, right? But I would remind you today that I think sometimes our view of Mary is too low. She was chosen to be the mother of God. (laughs) What an incredible person, right? What she must have been in character and demeanor, the kind of lady that she was, that she would be chosen to be the mother of God. So let's honor people like that. Don't deify them, but honor them, okay? Jesus is virgin born. God comes to earth as a baby. Just as we've been saying all along in Hebrews, Jesus is better. Real quick, because you know I had to throw some Hebrews in there. Hebrews 1.1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe the universe made through Jesus. All right, the virgin birth reminds us that Jesus is not only God, but he is also human. God is with us. This is amazing, isn't it? Jesus is a human being. Again, think of Joseph's story for just a minute, all right? Now, we just bragged on Mary a little bit, but I got to feel a little bit for Joseph, don't you? He's just trying to live life. He's just trying to make a few cabinets and some wooden benches and just get on with things, right? <laughs> and he's probably found this really beautiful woman, and it's like this young woman. It's like, oh, this is going to be my wife. This is going to be my ends. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to have a good full family. And the next thing you know, she says, um, I'm pregnant. And he says, well, that's not by me. Houston, we have a problem, Right? What would you do if you were in his shoes? Oh, man, right? How am I going to navigate through this? This is horrible. What has happened? All what I had planned, all this is going to work out again, the ends, right? I knew where we were headed, and now this is all a mess. What has she done? Why has this happened? And this is such a big thing, again, virgin birth, that God intervenes for Joseph, doesn't he, right? He gives him an angel. He gives him a, a, a spoken word from an angel to demonstrate that if he will trust the Lord in this, that God will work it out to his glory. Joseph has faith. And we want to thank God for the faith of Joseph today to obey the Lord, even when it doesn't make sense. So I want to ask you that this morning. Can you trust the Lord even when it doesn't make sense? (laughs) 
I've seen a lot of nodding heads this morning, right? There's a lot of things in our lives right here that don't make sense. Amen? And it, it is good to confess that and say that, I think, all right? I think sometimes as a church, we try, oh, it all works out. We all understand everything. We don't know half the time what's happening for what reason, right? Could you imagine Joseph's situation? It doesn't make sense. Will you trust the Lord? I challenge you, maybe sometime this week, read through Hebrews chapter 11 and look at everything that doesn't make sense. Let's build an ark. Does that make sense? No. The whole congregation is bowing down to the king and you need to stand up. You're probably going to get thrown into a fiery furnace, but I want you to stand up. Does that make sense? Um, you're a lot shorter than that big guy out on the field and he's got spears and he has a whole army and I'm going to give you a few five smooth stones and a sling. Does that make sense? Oh, I want you to go dip in the river, uh, that dirty uh, Jordan River seven times and we will heal, will heal for you from your leprosy. Naaman, how about doing that? Does that make sense? <laughs> we could go on and on and on, can't we, right? Why are you doing this? This doesn't make any sense, God. And yet, what happens when people with great faith do things that don't make any sense? Well, eight people survive a worldwide flood. Three Hebrew boys come through a fire. They don't even smell like a single piece of their clothing was burned. An Assyrian soldier ends up being healed of his leprosy because of the faith of his maidservant that said, well, if God asked you to go in the crystal waters of Assyria, would you do that? How much more would you just not go in the little dirty Jordan? And he, through her voice, hears the Lord, and his life is forever changed. Can I challenge you this morning? Trust the Lord, even when it doesn't make sense, because that's when he does the really big things, okay? Again, if Jesus was virgin-born, and I know that he was, and it shakes the whole world upside down, it means that God became flesh. It means that miracles are real. John 1, 14, the word was made flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And again, I cannot begin to explain or describe it, but just try to think about it for a moment. The eternal God, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, he became a baby born in a stable. He would know sickness. He would know sadness. He would know hunger. He would know temptation. He would bear the weight of the sins of the world. He knows everything you're feeling. And just like we saw in Hebrews last week, you can go to him. Praise the Lord. All right. It'll probably be about two weeks, and we're going to go to one of my all-time favorite passages in Hebrews, which reminds us we can approach a throne of grace with boldness and confidence to find mercy and grace in our time of need. Jesus knows what you're going through today. Are you, I don't think you're hearing me. Are you hearing me, really? Are you hearing the Lord today? What that anxiety or that fear or that concern is today, Jesus knows it. Not just kind of understands it. He knows it. Turn to him. Again, truly the Christmas miracle that God would become a human being. The virgin birth demonstrates that God is taking initiative in his world. And I'm not going to read this Luke passage this morning, but just be mindful of this. When we look at the idea here, this truth is that God isn't distant. He's not like a clockmaker and he built this earth and he built, built it in a way that it would all just function. He'd let it go and he never interacts, Right? God is interceding all the time. Even Moses' testimony last night was so powerful that God was interacting in his life at just the right time. God intervened, okay? 
we could sit here and give testimony today and probably every person here could tell of a time where God stepped into their world and showed himself to be God. Amen? So I want you to be mindful of this. The virgin birth demonstrates that God is coming to earth. He is taking initiative. The virgin birth reminds us of Christ's uniqueness. Nobody else has been virgin born, only Jesus. This is another reminder of his importance and his father's desire to set him apart from all of the rest of humanity. Only Jesus is virgin born. He is unique. He is uh, the one who is come for us, specifically, uniquely gifted by God for us. And finally, the last thing this morning I want you to see, the virgin birth reminds us of Christ's sinlessness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It's a good one to highlight or underline if you haven't done this already. God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. What does the virgin birth do? Well, that sin is passed down from generation to generation, isn't it, right? Adam and Eve sin. We're born into it. And the virgin birth allows Jesus to be born into this world without sin. He would know temptation, but he would not know sin. Romans chapter 5. Consequently, just as one trespass or one sin resulted in condemnation for all the people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass or the sin might increase. But where sin increased, grace what? It increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord so good. Sin breaks in, right? And then the law comes. And what's the law do? Well, let's see. Are you honoring your mom and dad? Well, y'all, all the time? Well, no, not all the time. Have you killed anybody? Oh, no, no. Well, have you hated anybody? Well, right? Have you ever committed adultery? No, I've been true. Have you ever had lust? Well, I don't know about that one. How about coveting? You haven't coveted any of your name? Well, he did. I mean, right. You just start going down the list, and when you go through the law, what happens? Sin, 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 sin. And where sin is, it increases. The law just makes it grow and grow. But where sin increased, what else increased? Grace. Grace increased. Praise the Lord. My devotions this morning was about Hannah, the book of Samuel. Her name means grace. Hannah prayed and prayed. She, her, her wife, uh, competitor wife, <laughs> was having kids like crazy. She had nothing. And she was just brokenhearted and she went to the temple and she was weeping before God and she was praying in a way she was just moving her lips and not praying out loud. And Eli, the priest, thought she was drunk. And she told the priest and she said, no, my heart is just so heavy because I so want a child. And Eli told her that, seek the Lord and he would honor her. And she made a promise that if God would give her a son, that she would give him back to the Lord. And guess what? God did. God gave her a son and guess what? She gave him back to the Lord. But then the verse I read this morning was that Hannah was graced by God with more children because of her obedience. So Hannah Grace, you heard the name Hannah Grace? That just means grace, grace. And that's what we have here in Romans 5. Grace, 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 grace. 
where sin shows up and where the law points it out and it just shows more and more and we feel guilty and shame and dirty, grace comes in and says, no, I cover this. Cover it, cover it, cover it, cover it. And so if there's a whole bunch of sin and shame, there's an ocean of grace to cover that sin and shame. Praise the Lord that Jesus brings us grace and life. All right. Look at the summary here this morning. We'll just miss some prayer in just a second. The virgin birth is, first of all, it is a predictor of faith. If you're curious about what somebody believes about miracles and about faith, ask them, what do you think about the virgin birth? Test them out a little bit. <laughs> if someone doesn't believe in the virgin birth, then there is, there is a place that there is not faith. The second thing this morning, uh, the virgin birth is an evidence of the deity of God. Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus is God with us. But also, the virgin birth is an evidence of his humanity. God is with us. Jesus becomes flesh. The word becomes flesh. The virgin birth demonstrates that God is taking initiative in this world. He isn't just standing back, but he's jumping in. It reminds us of his uniqueness, and it also reminds us of his sinlessness. And so this morning, what I would say to you is, we cannot let it be neglected. We stand here today as Christians, not just as Real Baptists, on this truth that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, just like it was prophesied 700 years before he came. So this year, when you sing Emmanuel, think about it just a little bit differently, all right? It's a reminder of God's faith. The sinless, virgin-born Savior is calling all of us today, but we give over not just the ends, but we would give over the means for him to have his way in our life. Let's stand this morning. I'm going to go play the piano just a minute again like we normally do. But again today, I especially want to, to speak to your heart today. Uh, if you've got some means that you're still trying to control and you know the Lord is speaking to your heart today that you need to give over even the means to Him, I want to encourage you to do that. And what I really want to encourage you today, and this may seem strange to some of you, but I wish you would just go up to a brother or a sister and say, would you pray with me? You could do it there in your pew. You could come up here on the altar. I don't care. But I really would encourage you to reach out and say, hey, would you pray with me today? And let the Lord use that prayer with one another to help us give our hearts and our lives over to him. So let's just take a little time this morning to pray together.